How are you this morning? Amen. We are in Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, get, get them out. Chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 10. We're getting to the end of the book, and hopefully by this time we are getting some of that joy that the Apostle Paul is exhibiting off the pages of the Scripture and into our lives. Amen. Paul's under house arrest. He's being led around in chains. He's lost his liberty. He's got people in the church who want to get rid of him so they could take his spot. He's got, you know, people who aren't stepping up to do what they need to do in his time of need. But yet somehow, some way, he keeps this uh, level of joy in his life that just bubbles over through every page of, and every chapter of Philippians here. And we've noted from the beginning that this is a, a key, a life lesson that we need to learn because sometimes life's not easy. Who can say amen? amen? But God is always good and he's always there. And we need to find the joy, amen, because God has joy for us. And he has peace for us, amen? You say, well, pastor, I don't have any joy and I'm miserable. Stay, stand by. We're going to get you out of there this morning, amen? We're going to leave blessed this morning because God has given us peace as an inheritance. And Paul has given us an example of how to be joy regardless of what's going on in life. So, Father, we thank you for Philippians uh, chapter 4. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and the living example he is for us of how to have joy and peace in any of life's circumstances. Father, as we uh, explore these verses, Holy Spirit, open them up to us and, and drive the truth that's tucked in here uh, beyond the words, Lord, for those who seek you with their whole heart. Father, drive those things into our hearts so that we can live what we've heard on Sunday, on Monday, and watch it affect our lives and the people around us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Philippians 4, <clears throat> starting in verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction." So Paul sharing so many deep thoughts here, a scripture verse that is so uh, popular, notable, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, one we quote all the time, uh, people write this down, tattoo it on their bodies, it's everywhere. And it's a great verse, but we need to understand the context around it uh, so we can implement it in our lives the way God meant it to be implemented. Now, Paul starts out here in verse 10, encouraged. How many people like to be encouraged? Anyone wake up happy every once in a while? Amen. What, what is the age that you wake up tired? Like I, I, start, I said to Tony this morning, I woke up tired. You ever wake up and think, I, I need a nap already? Paul starts off here, he's encouraged. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So he's rejoicing. Why? Did he get let go? No. Did the Romans leave him alone? No. Did the people uh, in his church that want to replace him forget about it? No. Did the Jews stop wanting to try and kill him? No. Nothing changed, but yet he's rejoicing. 
And, and this is the principle here that we've got to get. We don't wait for the circumstance to change before we rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord for the blessings we do have, and it changes the atmosphere of our lives. So he's rejoicing, you see, about what? The fact that his brothers and sisters, his spiritual children in Philippi, were actively concerned with his well-being. He looked at these people in Philippi, a church that he planted, and these were, you know, he looked at them as his children. He loved them so much. He yearned for them. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to see them do well and be blessed, and he, and he yearned for them. And here's the people that he loved and yearned for loving him back. How many would just say on Sunday morning, that feels good. When you extend love and you're loved back. Anybody have children? You know, you want your children, you love your children, you love them so much, you want them to love you back. I told this story in first service uh, one time when Riley was really little. I mean, he must have been up to here. Don't know how old he was, but we were on a four-wheeler. We're flying around. We're hitting jumps. We're catching air. He's screaming, having a good time. We hit this one jump. Yeah, this is probably all illegal. I should be in jail, but (laughs) we hit this one jump, and the uh, machine flipped out, and it wound up getting stuck straight up in the air like this, and I got thrown off. Some people are shaking their head. You've done this before, too. I got thrown off the back, and there's Riley holding on to the handlebars with the thing straight up in the air. It looks like Superman holding on there. So I collect myself. I run up, and I snatch him off there, and I'm like, you okay, buddy? And he goes, yeah, Dad, I'm okay. I was worried about you. And I remember just being so blessed. He's like, yeah, I'm fine here. I can hold on here forever. But the old man just got launched off of the ditch, you know. He's got the keys, so I'm hoping he's okay. But just, you know, when the people you love love you back, when the people you're concerned with are concerned for you, what a blessing it is. And Paul says, as these were his spiritual children loving him back, he he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. He's so blessed. Now, you know, understand, there were those in Philippi that loved him, but there was also an element, a faction in the church. We talked about this a long time ago. They saw Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to advance their own spiritual status. Do you realize there are people who saw the Apostle Paul get arrested and good, good, he's out of the way. Now I can be the next Apostle Paul. I mean, you're always going to have that element, and that's not an element to rejoice over, but we've got to focus on the good things. It's like what Pastor Mike said this morning in communion. Jesus sees the good things in us. We see all the bad things, and we feel unworthy, and it's not about us being worthy. It's about him being faithful. Amen? So here we are, Paul's rejoicing. The people he loves are loving him back. And honestly, uh, all of us would have to say it's true that, you know, it's really encouraging when others go out of their way to make an effort to help us in our time of need. Have you ever been hurting? Maybe there was a loss in your family. Maybe you suffered the death of someone close to you. Maybe you got a bad report from the doctor. Maybe there's sickness in your home. And people around you that, you know, that were close to you rallied around. They showed up with food. They showed up with encouragement. They they did little things for you. Then maybe they drove you to uh, this or that. And and they just stepped up in love. How many would say that's the greatest feeling in life, amen? Not only to receive that, to be able to do that for others. What a great blessing that is, amen. So we see a mutual exchange happening here. Paul rejoices over it, and it's an encouraging thing when others go out of their way to hold up our hands and to be strength for us when we have none. Now, Paul knew how much the Philippians really loved him. He, He really got to understand that they did care for them by their actions, 
Newsflash, Full Gospel Center, actions still speak louder than words. Amen. Actions speak louder than words. We, we've got to do more than just say. Now, I've encouraged people who don't say things to say them. Amen. Like, if you love somebody, tell them you love them. If you appreciate someone, tell them you appreciate them. If you think they're doing a good job, you know, go out of your way to encourage people. Verbalize it. How many understand that's important? Amen. Well, you think, well, they know how, they know how I feel about them. Why do I have to say it? You got to say it. It's like the man who got married and 10 years into his marriage, his wife said, do you love me? He said, I told you I loved you the day I marry you and I changed my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> That's not the way it works. You got to tell her you love her. She's got to tell you she loves you. You got to appreciate each other, amen. It's mutual respect, a mutual exchange. So we verbalize, but we don't stop at verbalizing. We actually have to, you know, uh, you know, put our money where our mouth is. We've got to do actions. We've got to do something, not just talk, amen, because actions do speak louder than words. Uh, it was the fact that when the people in Philippi had the opportunity to help Paul, they immediately acted upon that ap opportunity, and it blessed him so much. He's like, you had a chance. You took immediate action. You've come through for me. You let me know you're with me. You're thinking about about me. You're sending people to help me. What a blessing it is to me. You know, recognizing our opportunities in life, the opportunities we have to bless others is a big deal. The truth is all of us have opportunities every day to show others we care about them, to show other people the love of God, to share Christ with others. Every day we have the opportunity to share Jesus with somebody who doesn't know him. We have the opportunity to exercise our spiritual gifts in a way that blesses others. How many people would say they have the gift of encouragement? Hands going up everywhere. Do you realize how powerful just the gift of encouragement is? Do you realize that there's people out there that no one ever encourages them? No one ever says you're doing good. No, no one ever says thank you. You know, we're so blessed in the church with the family of God. We're so, you know, blessed to be, you know, children of God that we forget there's people out there that don't enjoy any of the things that we have on a regular basis. I have friends that are, you know, they're not Christians. They, they, they're, you know, they're, they're in a rough environments, maybe rough marriages and stuff. And every once in a while, I'll just text them and say, hey, in case nobody told you today, you're a good man and I appreciate you. You wouldn't, uh, you, you'd be amazed at what a blessing that is. They're, they're like, man, you're the best friend I ever had, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't even like you that much. I'm just telling you. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Just encourage somebody. Hey, you did a good job there. That was a, you know, like you encourage people. They look at you like, they think you're trying to scam them. And hold on to their wallet. No, I'm just... You know, just want to encourage you. Then, you know, we can use our gifts. And every day we've got opportunities to use them. I mean, the opportunities we have to share Christ with others. How many understand, it's not slim pickings out there. There's a lot of lost people. You live next to them. You work with them. You brush shoulders with them. And, and, and you know, when you get your breakfast in the morning, just a little drop you know, drop the name of Jesus. Hey, Jesus loves you. Hey, you know, um, slip somebody a track. And they say, oh, that's too weird for me, Pastor. You know, we've got to be a light in the dark. 
I had an opportunity to share Christ with someone this weekend. You know, as this person just met me, opening up to me, you know, um, we're at the gym, big tough guys telling me about X, Y, and Z, and someone comes and interrupts. And I don't get to share. You know, it happens, right? And then I'm like, he opens up again. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, someone else interrupts. I'm like, ugh. And it wound up, we parted ways, and I never got to share. And it bothered me for days. And I'm like, I'm going to get that sucker soon. next time I see him. I'm going to jump on his back and just go, you know. <laughs> and just tell him, you know. But it's like the enemy will get in there and mess up opportunities. But you know what the truth is? We miss more opportunities than the enemy ever messes up. So we've got to maximize our opportunities. The truth is this. We are either maximizing or missing the opportunities we have to be a blessing to someone else. My prayer is that we would get keyed into these things. We wouldn't miss them. You know what the problem is? Our culture has, has made us so narcissistic. We're usually only thinking about ourselves to, and we don't see other people's needs. Come on, say, out your amen. I've known Christians, and I'm sitting there with them, and this person's in front of them telling X, Y, and Z, and I'm like, man, this is your chance to share Jesus, and they're saying nothing. They're talking about work. They're talking about lunch. They're talking about the weather. I'm like, ah! And not even, you know, and, and Christians, and not even an urgency to share Christ with a lost person. God help us with that. We get so self-absorbed that we miss our opportunities. And it's, you know what? It's time for us to maximize them. We live in a broken, hurting world with people who are beat down. They need encouragement. They need love. And you know what? You're the answer to somebody's prayer. There's a popular maxim that says success is where preparation meets opportunity. How many have heard that? All right, more hands. First service was looking at me like... That's a new one. Did you make that up? No. <laughs> Success is where preparation meets opportunity. What does that mean? It means you have to prepare yourself to be ready when the opportunity presents itself so that you can make an impact. The time to be in the word, to be prayed up, to be walking with God. Do, do you realize that it seems like the more you're in your Bible, you're talking to God, you're connecting with Jesus, that all of a sudden you're getting all these opportunities. That's not an accident. That's because you're filled up and God starts to pour you out and he gives you chances, amen. So we've got to prepare ourselves, amen. Look, don't be scared. Don't fear them. Don't think, well, they're going to reject me. Huh? It doesn't matter. We've got to put it out there, amen. Sow some seed, amen. Throw it out there. Be the one who broadcasts the gospel. Even if it's one person, two people, even if it's five years later, throw the seed out there. So success is where preparation meets opportunity. We need to fill ourselves and stay in the word and walk with Jesus, and those opportunities will take place. But actions speak louder than words. And you know what, church? What we need more than anything right now is action in the body of Christ. During the Civil War, General Stonewall Jackson had his famous Valley Campaign where Jackson's army, his entire army, was on the wrong side of a big river that he had to cross. He had all his horses and cavalry and wagons and artillery and all his men, and he had to get them across the river immediately. Jackson told his engineers 
to go to their tent and to draw plans for a bridge so they could cross immediately. He also pulled his wagon master aside and he said to the wagon master that we need to get all the wagons and the artillery across the river as soon as possible. So the engineers went to the tent and the wagon master immediately started gathering logs and rocks and fence rails and fence posts. And before long, he had built a bridge across the river. Long before daylight, he told General Jackson that all the artillery and all the wagons were safely across the river. And Jackson said, well, where are the engineers? He said, they're still in their tent drawing up plans for a bridge. <laughs> now, if, you, if that doesn't bother you, you're the problem. Because so many people will just, you know, talk and they'll debate and they'll pontificate and they'll, and they'll go around in circles and never produce anything. We need action in the body of Christ. <laughs> Being a Christian is not, you know, to conceptualize and philosophize and scrutinize. No, it's about doing kingdom things, amen. We've got enough people talking and debating with theory and, and this and that, but there's nothing getting done. That's why I hate staff meetings and committees and think tanks and all this stuff. You ever see them? A bunch of eggheads, they just like to talk. And I've been in meetings like stuff, and, da, 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 and what about this? And, da, 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 da. and then you come up with a great idea, and then you got to have three people shoot the idea down, and then somebody give another idea. And then by the time you get done, all you did is ate all the donuts, and you wasted time, and you didn't get anything done. <laughs> we need action. Action in the body of Christ. Sons and daughters of God maximizing their opportunities to make an impact for the kingdom of God in the lives of others. In verse you know, 11 kind of continues here. He's like, not that I speak from want, Paul says. That's a powerful statement because he was in hardship. He did lack some things. He didn't have all the personnel he needed. He was missing some stuff in the natural. And he says this, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Now, let's unpack that because it's powerful. Paul refuses to see himself as a victim here. Amen. I want to say that again. Paul refuses to see himself as a victim here. Yes, it's unjust what the Romans are doing. Yes, it's outlandish what his fellow Jews are doing to him. Yes, it's ridiculous that those in the body of Christ want to get him out of the way. Yes, it's sad that a lot of people didn't step up to help him in his affliction, but he refuses to see himself as a victim. And this is so important for us to understand. We are not victims. We are the victors, amen. We're overcomers. We're plugged into the power source. If you're a child of God and you're connected to God, you got everything you need to succeed in this life and make it to the next life in Jesus' arms, amen. So instead of claiming victim status, Paul shares a profound principle with us, something he learned along the way. He said what? I've learned how to be content. Say content. Paul learned contentment. Now, be, because contentment is something that all of us would agree that we need in our lives. None of us want to be anxious or upset or feel like we failed. We want the contentment to know that we've answered the call of God, we've produced fruit, and that the Father's pleased with us, amen? Am I safe in assuming that? Yeah. So we want to be content. You know what? Sometimes, a lot of times, the will of God doesn't bring instant contentment to our lives. 
And if you're a seasoned saint, you've been walking with the Lord long enough, you know sometimes the things the Lord asks you to do aren't happy, clappy, goose bumpy, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings right out of the box. <clears throat> you look at anyone in the Old Testament, you look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they all had a rough road to travel to accomplish the will of God. It wasn't easy. Sometimes the will of God is not easy. But I want to tell you this, the reason we learn to be content doing God's will when it's not easy, listen, is because the grace and the blessing and the joy of God are there even when it's not easy. Amen. Oh, no, 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 pastor, I didn't sign up for that. I'm just taking the easy road. I'm just, I know Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so. But I didn't sign up for suffering or lack or being hungry or anything. And that's for the apostle Paul, not me. Listen, sometimes God's going to ask us th to do things. And, you know, we're going to say, well, I don't want to do that. When you walk away from that, realize you walk away from the grace. You walk away from the blessing. You walk away from the provision. Look, could Moses have been Moses with anyone besides the, the people of God? Could Joshua have been Joshua and did something else? You know, we have to do the will of God, even when it hurts, even when it's tough, even when it's uphill both ways like our parents walk to school you know we've got to do it because that's where the blessing is that's where the grace is that's where the joy is and if we walk away from the will of God we leave all that behind some people walk away and they're like I'm just going to do my own thing and you know what I've never heard anybody say yeah I did my own thing and it worked out great God's ways the better way man Paul, is, he's like, I'm not a victim. This is not, you know, God's blessed me. God's been good to me. God's gracious to me. And I have the joy of the Lord in my life, even though I'm in chains. <clears throat> Christians need to be very careful about claiming victim status, especially when they intend on tapping into another supply besides God. Well, I want you to pay for me. I want you to take care of me. I want you to write the check for me. And, and all of a sudden, we say we're Christians and that God's our source, but we're looking to everyone and everything else to supply for us. You know, it gets really confusing to the lost when they see Christians play the victim. The apostle Paul doesn't do that, and it's to the glory of God, and it's to the encouragement of the saints today that even though he's in hardship, he doesn't play the victim. Why? Because he serves God, Jehovah Jireh, the supply of all things, amen. Come on. <clears throat> Maybe some of us don't know that name, Jehovah Jireh, is an Old Testament name for God. It means the many-breasted one. God is the supply of all things. He's got what you need to feed you, to nourish you, to keep you, to sustain you, amen. God's your source. Your, your company's not your supply. Your boss is not your supply. New York State is not your supply. The government's not your supply. Come on, I wish there were some Christians here today. God's your supply. As everything begins to crumble and collapse around us, and people who put their faith in it, well, I got a good retirement and package, and I got a 401k. Yeah, and now it's a 101k, and it's getting lower, <laughs> right? Because look, man messes up everything, but God, God will sustain and take care of those who trust him, amen? <laughs> I have no retirement, no 101K, no nothing. I'm going to preach till I die. You're stuck with me. <laughs> they sound happy. So 
look, we got to trust God. We got to live by faith. We got to stay in, in this, the path that he's carved out for us because the grace and the blessing and the joy are there. And Paul knows that. And he's not going around, oh, poor me, the injustice of it, and I'm filing a lawsuit, and I can't believe No, he's plugged into the source, and he lets everyone know God's our source, God's our supply, God's our support, and he's enough. Don't confuse others and don't shame the reputation of God as a Christian and, and not revel in the fact that God takes good care of his children. <clears throat> so he says, not that I speak from want, but then he continues. He says, for I've learned, say learn. learn. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. You see, contentment is a, is a learned skill. You know, we're not born content. Anyone ever had a baby? Are they content? Are they just, you know, they're like, oh, my diaper's full. I'll just, you know, they're sleeping. I'll wake them up in the morning. No, they want everything that they want. Now they want to eat. I'm, I'm hungry. I got gas and my diaper's full. Ah! Little selfish clumps of humanity. So we're not born content. We learn how to be content. And the truth is we've got to learn that we need a lot less to make us content than what the Western culture makes us want to believe. There's a, a story about a 5th century man named Arrhenius, and he determined he was going to live a holy life and pursue God. So he abandoned all the comforts of uh, the modern 5th century Egyptian living, and he went out in the desert and lived an austere life. From time to time, uh, Arrhenius would visit the magnificent city of Alexandria, and when he went there, he spent all his time walking through the, 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 the bazaars and the, you know, all of the little areas in the city, and he would just look at everything. He didn't touch anything. He didn't buy anything. He just looked. One day, someone asked him why he did this, and he explained his heart rejoiced at the sight of all the things he didn't need. Wow. That's not, that's not the kind of window shopper they want in the mall. Right? What do we, we look at that? Ooh, I need that. And, ooh, I need that. And it's on sale. I don't want to miss the sale. And we think we need all these things. And then all of a sudden we collect all these things and we realize we don't need them. My wife and I were cleaning out the basement yesterday. How do we get all this junk? When we moved out of our apartment, we filled up a house. Now we got a garage and an attic and stuff. I said, what do we, we got to throw this out. We got to get rid of this. We don't need this. I think we should just invite everybody over. Come, just take something and go. Just pick, pick whatever you want. Because we got too much stuff. And you know what the thing is? We think we need all that stuff. And the truth is we don't. We need so little to be content. I'll never forget being on the mission field in Guatemala and walking into people's house, a one-room hut with like a, a fireplace in the middle and a, a, a steel pan, a pot, a machete, and a calendar, and that's all they had. And these were the happiest people I had ever met. Invites you in, share their food, smiles, laughs, hugs like you were family. We need so little to be content. Paul said, I learned to be content, and we need to learn to be content, even in hardships, even in adversity. Uh, being content is something that we learn, and we need to take these situations in life, the giants that we face, the, the storms that we face, and realize they're just learning opportunities for us. 
to strip ourselves down from all the things that encumber us so we can have the joy of the Lord and the peace of God and just enjoy the walk that God has for us. Verse 12 describes all the extremes of life where Paul learned to be content. And, you know, it's an interesting list. <coughs> he says, I know how to get along with humble means. Say humble. humble. I also know how to live in prosperity. Uh-oh, there's the P word. Uh, we've, we've abused that. We've been taught, you know, through the prosperity doctrine that unless you're prosperous, you're not very spiritual and God wants you, you know, to be having all this excess and have your wallet full and blah, blah, blah. And we, look, God wants to bless us, but it's not about the blessing. It's about the blesser, amen. Let's not get distracted about the blessing and miss the blesser, amen. So, you know, Paul says, I've learned to get along with humble means. Hmm. I also learned how to live in prosperity, okay. And in every circumstances, listen, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. I wish somebody tell me that secret. In America where we eat every 20 minutes. I've learned the blessing of how to be hungry. I've never experienced such a thing. Most of us, 20 minutes you got to eat, 25 minutes you're hangry already both of having abundance and suffering need. Look at what Paul says. He runs the gamut there. Prosperity, abundance, you know, hungry, filled, suffering need, all of these things. He's basically saying in whatever circumstance, whatever extreme I'm in, I have learned to be content. Now listen, being prosperous and filled and enjoying abundance may be the preferred state. Can we just agree that that's the state we would prefer? if we had a choice. It may be the preferred state, but listen, it definitely doesn't produce the most growth in us. Uh, because when everything's easy, when everything's good, when we have everything we need, when we have no trouble, no drama, nothing to deal with that makes us anxious, we become spiritually fat and lazy and we forget we're supposed to be overcomers. Can I be honest with you? I need a little adversity in my life to keep my spiritual edge sharp. Amen. And you're saying, yes, we knew that about you, Pastor. That's good. You stay sharp. We're going to meet you at the refrigerator in the buffet. No, we've all got to stay sharp. Amen. And the truth is we all need a little adversity in our lives to stay sharp. Have you ever thought, you know, God, why is there always problems? Why is there always trouble? Why is there always stress? Because it keeps us sharp. It keeps our spiritual edge from becoming dull. The truth is we need some of that just so we stay focused on God. When I was a little boy, I lived in the Bronx, and I went to Catholic school, and I remember walking into the classroom, and I think my mom told me, I forgot again, Mom, how many kids in my class? 50 kids in a kindergarten class with like one nun running the whole class. And we had these nuns, Tony, they looked like, I mean, they were huge. I was so little, looked like Darth Vader. I'm looking at, and, and they, were, they were not happy. This one nun, she was Cuban. She had an accent. I couldn't understand her. She would yell. It would stop. And she had a ruler that she used judiciously. I mean, we got cracked with that thing. This wasn't the woke school system that we live in now. You know, they, 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 yeah, they used a ruler. So I remember being just scared in school. You know, my, my, I'd come home and my mom was like, how's the day? And I'm like, ah. 
I couldn't understand. I'm getting yelled at. I'm doing something wrong. Here comes the ruler. But you know what? I, I looked at that, and then I, I remember years later comparing it to when I was in public school, and we had some of these hippie teachers, you know, and stuff, and they, anything went in the classroom. Look, I was a better student. I, did, I got better grades. I was more prepared for class. I paid attention better when I was a little bit terrified. Can I just be honest? And so the thing is, like, God, why does it have to be this way? It's because of our human nature. We get lazy, we get slack, and we lose our edge, so we need a little bit of adversity. So if there's a little drama in your life, if there's a little stress in your life, if there's a, you know, something that you got to deal with every day, listen, don't rebuke the devil. It's probably from God. It's keeping you spiritually sharp. Amen? You know, honestly, how many of us could say that people in the Western church here would embrace humble means and hunger and hardship and lack and still be joyful? How many people would quit on God, quit coming to church, get mad at everybody? Mm. So we've got to learn to be content. Yeah, we have abundance. Yeah, we have prosperity, all that stuff. It might be the preferred state, but it's not the state that produces the spiritual growth we need. In verse 13 Uh, The bombshell statement here, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What a beautiful verse, amen. Uh, Such a powerful verse. Why was Paul able to say that? Because he learned to be content. And he learned to find his strength in Jesus Christ. Now, you could literally translate that verse in him. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. We know it's talking about Jesus, but when you look at the Greek, you're definitely getting that element that it's in him. And that's a powerful thing for us to catch. It's an important detail. Why? Because in Christ, we can do anything. We can endure anything. We can be successful anywhere. But without Jesus, we'd be a mess in the best circumstances. We've got to stay in him, amen. Through Christ, I can do everything. I I have the strength of God, but my strength is found in him. It's in Christ. When we're in right relationship with Jesus, when we're in God's perfect will, when we're in complete submission to the lordship of Christ. Now, that's a rare place for a lot of really nominal Christians in our world to find themselves in. Most of us are wayward, doing our own thing, got our own agenda. And how many will just admit that that creeps in? You know, we're in a time of consecration right now in our church. And I hope that, like me, you're examining your heart and saying, where where am I consecrated to God? Where am I doing my own thing? Where am I about the Father's business and where do I have my own agenda? Do I spend the bulk of my time and my energy and my resources on myself? Or am I a kingdom person? Wow. These are good things to look at because that's what determines consecration. And Paul is saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when I'm in him. Amen. Why do relationships fail? Why do marriages fall apart? Why do businesses close down? Why do ministries fail? Because they're not in him. We do a lot of things that's our own will and our own idea, but we never committed to the Lord, and it wasn't his idea in the first place. And sometimes they fail miserably, and they, they devastate us, and we've got to learn to be in him and to do his will and not to go off on tangents and do our own things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, help us to stay in Jesus. 
Help us to remain in him so we can do the things he's called us to do and produce fruit everywhere. So we cannot suffer the loss of time and energy of pursuing tangents that were never your idea. Father, when we're in Jesus, the sky's the limit. But outside of him, we can do nothing. Verse in closes down the text here that we're going to cover. He says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Now, really what this is, Paul is recalibrating here. He's shown that he's in Christ. He's, you know, he's depending on the Lord. He sees God as his source. He's content because he's in Christ. And then he comes back at the end here, and he kind of just thanks the people who stood alongside of them, kind of in a way to put things in balance. How many know we, we, get, we like to go to extremes, don't we? Just look at our culture. Our culture doesn't like balanced anything. You know, it's not like we're going to do some balanced motocross racing. No, we're going to do extreme motocross racing. We're going to do some balanced skydiving. We're just going to jump out of the plane. No, we're going to light ourselves on fire and jump out. It. <laughs> extreme, right? We like extreme stuff. Here's God saying, you know, sometimes the, sometimes the balance is what we're looking for. And Paul balances here between two extremes. We can rely completely on God and isolate ourselves from people and discount people and make people as if they mean nothing to us, or we can rely completely on people and ignore God and do our own thing and stay in the flesh. There's the two extremes. But Paul is balancing the two extremes here, and he's saying, nevertheless, you have done well. So he uses his gift of encouragement. He encourages them. He's appreciative. He, you've done well in sharing with me my affliction. You see, Paul was totally rooted in Christ, totally dependent on God, totally submitted to his will, but at the same time was thankful for the people that God sent alongside of him to lift up his hands. And that's the balance we have to strike. We have to trust God completely, but never completely trust man. Our trust needs to be in the Lord. You can lean on him. You can stand on him. You can be safe in him. But you know, listen, you, you, can't, you can't trust man. You can't trust the systems of man. You can't trust the, you know, the opinions of man. That's all unstable, and it's all falling apart in front of our eyes. So we have to trust God completely. We have to interact with people and, and appreciate them in our lives, but we don't put our trust completely in them. My wife loves me. She's been a great wife 30 years. I'm not trading her in. I'm just saying. But she, she trusts me. But listen, she knows that I'm just a man. So her trust is not in Rick. Oh, in Rick we trust. No, she trusts Jesus. She trusts the Lord, amen. And I'm the same thing. So we can appreciate each other and we can lean on each other, but our trust has got to be in God. Come on, work this into your heart. It's important. Everything that can be shaken is going to shake. And, and some of us are trusting in some shaky things. And unless we switch our trust and put it in God, we're going to be shaken when the shaking comes. Appreciate the support of others. Uh, uh, appreciate those who hold up your hands, your Joshua's right? Appreciate them, but, but stay on the foundation of completely trusting in the goodness of God. This was the balance that Paul struck. He encouraged the Philippians. He appreciated the Philippians. He thanked the Philippians, but his trust was in God, and so should ours be. Let's bow our heads today.
Father, we just thank you this morning for the word of God. What a gift to us. The apostle Paul, what an example to us. And for the precious work of the Holy Spirit of illuminating the word to us so that we can understand it and apply it to our daily living. Holy Spirit, let us remember all the lessons, all the principles we've learned here. Contentment is a learned behavior. It's a choice. We find our contentment in him, in Christ. We are appreciative of others and we are a blessing to others, but we trust in the Lord. Bring stability to your people so that you could use us at this time to be a light in dark places, to bring many into relationship with Jesus Christ, to invite people to church and watch their lives transform, to invite people to an Easter production and watch their whole house get saved. Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord. We're available for your use today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him praise this morning. Amen.